0: My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Vortex. It's so good to have you with us today. We're kicking off a brand new series called Rise in the Storm. And kind of coupled with that in the background, we're doing something that we've called 21 Days Together. Now, here's the reality that exists behind that is that we believe God created you to do life with other people. He didn't create you to live alone. And we live in a world that's ever increasingly more identified and isolated. And I want you to know today that God wants you to live with people. And he wants you to live with spiritually significant relationships. So during 21 Days Together, we've developed a three-week curriculum that attached to this message series. And really what we've asked is to say, hey, you probably already naturally meet with some people. Maybe you have lunch with some, some friends. Maybe you have lunch at your work with every day with a few of the same friends. So what we've done is we've developed the video curriculum. It takes you about 45 minutes to get through it. All you have to do is press play on a video, press pause when it says pause, ask the questions, and have the conversation. We really want you to get plugged in. As a matter of fact, we're giving away, uh, if you sign up to lead a group, maybe at work, maybe with some friends that you grab coffee with, if you sign up, you'll be entered in to win some Hornets tickets over the next couple weeks. So we'd love to get you plugged up to do that. See, I believe this is going to be one valuable series for us because there's a truth that lies behind it that I just want to bring to the surface as we get started. It's that this, we're all going to face storms. Every single one of us, we're going to face storms. As a matter of fact, let me just ask you this question today. If you're in the middle of a storm, raise your hand right now. I'm in the middle of a storm in life. Lots of hands. How many of you would say, I'm coming out of a storm, right? How many of y'all didn't raise your hand? Raise your hand, because you're getting ready to go through a storm, all right? <laughs> We're all going to go through storms. Every single one of us are going to face storms in life. And the second thing that kind of is coupled with that, that, that we all know and we've seen it happen, it happens in the natural when there are storms. We've seen it happen with trees and with structures. We know that storms are going to knock us down. Storms are going to knock us down. So look, with understanding that in the background, look at this verse out of Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, verse 16 says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster... Is enough to overthrow the wicked. Now I want to unpack that scripture, leave it up there while I talk about it for just a moment. I, I think that there are some subtleties to that scripture that we need to expose. Alright, here's the first one. That if you're the the common translation for that is that the righteous may fall. All right? This one says the the godly may trip. Here's the thing, I want you to understand that we often think about the righteous or the godly, those people who are right with God and following after God, as the people who get it right. That's not the way it is. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear here. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. But those of us who who fall and we're chasing after Jesus, something different happens in our lives than happens in those lives that don't have God in the mix. Something happens when our face is down in the, the mire and the mud. Something is different than happens, and that's that we get up. We may fall seven times, but I'll get up eight. But those who are not following God, those who do not have the power of God in their lives, those, when they fall, when they fall, it's devastating because they stay down. They stay down. I was reminded of a story that I think many of us can relate to today. It was the mid-70s, and if you were alive during those uh, times, some of us were not alive. Some of us were. I'm not going to point any fingers at anybody. Um, but this story of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald w- was a, a powerful story of, of what can happen to us in a storm. And it, this was the largest ship that sailed through the Great Lakes. It was a container ship. Ca- carried containers. Often, it carried a lot of um, iron ore, where it was mined and then shipped to, to melt it and to make steel. Okay, so so th- this was a very valuable ship, the largest one working on the Great Lakes, and it was thought much like the Titanic to have been unsinkable. But on November the ninth, nineteen seventy five, it left port. Um, carrying a a large load of iron ore. The next day, it radioed in at 5 p.m. The captain said, we're caught in a storm. We've lost radar navigation. This is one of the most significant storms I've ever seen. The waves seem to be cresting at over 80 feet. We're in hurricane force winds. We, We don't know if we can find safe harbor because we're sailing blind. Have you ever been there? You ever been there when out of nowhere a storm rolls in in life and that sea that was calm all of a sudden becomes choppy? That sea that was smooth sailing all of a sudden just becomes difficult? And not only does It becomes difficult, but everything that you've used to navigate life seems like it's failing. Two hours later, the captain radioed in, and he said these words, we're holding our own. So I think sometimes in the midst of a storm, that's exactly what we try to do, isn't it? Just trying to make it. Just trying to keep everything together. Just, you know, I just don't really want to break down. Ten minutes after he radioed in, the Fitzgerald went absent from radar. Was no longer able to be contacted and was presumed sunk. Was later found. Every crew member died. Gordon Lightfoot, after reading the story in Newsweek magazine wrote a song called "The Sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald," and in that he had this light or this this uh, this line that goes with that. Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? And it's my hope during this series that you will come to understand that in the middle of the storms that you face in life, not only is God present but he can do in your life some of the most significant things that will ever be accomplished in your life. He is as loving, as present, as engaged in that moment as he is in any other moment. As a matter of fact, I want you to understand that the storms in life are not there to beat you down. They're actually there to elevate you. As the waters rise, God is going to rise you if you stay in his boat. He's going to raise you. And I believe that in the midst of the storms that we face, we have the opportunity to rise. See, we all face different storms. And the storms that are represented by the hands that went up just a few moments ago, they're all very different. Some of the storms that we're facing would go down in the first category. This is in your notes. What I would call a forecasted storm. A forecasted storm. There are storms that are going to come, and you know that they're going to come. All right? We can forecast that. Let me just tell you, if you're at the age where your kids are are, are growing up and they're about to all leave home and, and go off to college, there's probably going to be some marital tension. All right? We can forecast that storm called empty nest syndrome. If your house is 20 years old or 30 years old, I can promise you that major appliances are going to start to fail in it. This is why your grandma used to tell you, save for a rainy day. Do you remember that? Why? Because there are storms that we can forecast. We can look down the road and know this storm is going to roll in. But the second kind of storm there is Important to note too, it's storms that we would call created storms. You see, in life we're gonna do some things that create their own storms. They're not always bad. Sometimes we step out in faith and we do something that is daring and risky and awesome, and it has noble and wonderful backgrounds and, and, and kind of philosophy behind it. But the thing is is that we we don't succeed. I've known many people who, in an effort to spend more time with their family, be more devoted husbands or wives, have stepped out to start small businesses. Only to, several years into it, step out of that business because it just wasn't doing what they thought it was going to do. And there's a storm that comes with that, but there's a storm that also comes with our sin. When we fail God, the Bible is very clear that the way that God has invited us to live, it will bring life. And if we embrace sin, it is going to bring death. And see, sin, while God's way brings an order to everything, well, sin kind of messes everything up. When God's way brings health and life, sin brings mess and death. And I want you to understand today that those storms that come because we've sinned, they not only bring the wind and the rain into our lives, but into the lives of the people that love us and care about us too. See, there are storms that we create. And then there are unexpected storms. Storms like the Fitzgerald faced on that evening in 1975. There are storms that we couldn't forecast, we couldn't know we couldn't anticipate those storms those storms blow in and change everything we didn't even know it was about to happen. We have a family in our church right now that is in the midst of an epic, unexpected storm. She went to her general physician just with a little stomach ache and the st- Physician referred her to an OB group, and just by chance, she happened to get in in just a few weeks. And so she took a morning off and went over there. They did a quick scan and found a mass. Sent her down the street to the hospital, and in just a few hours, they found out that she had cancer, and it was significant. She went from having never had significant health issues in her whole life to a young mother that has three small kids now facing an epic fight for her, her own life against cancer. There was no way to forecast that storm. There was no way to know it was coming. And I want to remind you of something that's epically important for you to remember and learn, that the Bible goes through a great deal of of time to demonstrate and make it apparent for us. And it's this, you are not strong. You are not strong. See, over and over and over, the Bible confirms a suspicion that we know we have. We know it's, and and, and it's this that, that for us, we are radically weak. We are not strong. And for us to make it in life, we have to depend on the the strength of God, the caring love of God that gives us the strength to stand up and navigate when we've fallen. You see, those storms that we face, unlike the storms we see on earth, those storms rage on the outside. The storms we face they rage inside of us. So what I want to do is spend a few moments talking about the storm that rages within us. This is in your notes. The first thing I want to remind you about is this, that we will all fall. We will all fall. The question is not whether will you, if or not you will fall. The question is, when you fall, what are you going to do? The righteous, we know the righteous, as they will rise, right? They may fall seven times, but they're going to rise eight. But it's those who don't have Jesus in their lives who fall one time, and it brings about destruction. See, we'll all fall, but there's a truth behind that that I want to elevate here with number two, that, that falling is going to hurt. Now, my little girl is four years old. Every time she falls whether it be falling into the couch, falling on the carpet, falling outside and skinning her knee. Every time she falls, she cries. And she'll run up to me, Daddy, I'm hurting. Right, she just just has that moment. But I'm 38 years old, and I can tell you, when I fall, it still hurts. When I fall, it hurts. You see, there's something that happens with that pain that we need to talk about. Number three, the pain of falling often hides itself behind shame. So I want you to think about your heart like your house. In intimate relationships, what we do is we invite people into our hearts. Come in. Let me help you navigate and learn who I am. See, if the sun was completely dark and the power was completely off and you came over to my house and tried to walk around inside of it, you would likely trip and fall. You would likely bump your knees. You would likely stub your toes. But if I was guiding you through my house, I could help you understand where things are. You see, that's how intimacy works. We invite people into our lives and then we guide them deeper into our hearts. But see, the problem with shame is that shame takes the pain of falling and locks it in a room and says, I just want you to stay there. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want the people that I love to deal with you. I don't even want God to see you. Just stay there and let me lock you in. Y'all know how that is because you got that house in your or that room in your house where when people are coming over, you just throw everything in there, right? You know how that is. Right? Your house looks immaculate. Nobody even lives here except that one room. And what do you tell your kids? Do not open that door. <laughs> do not. If you open that door, I'm going to beat your butt. And that's what we do with people. Bring them into our lives and we navigate them and then we come to that door. And we go, no, we're not going in there. We're not going in there. I just don't want to go there. I can't do that. And the thing about the people that love us is they know there's a room that you're not letting me in. See, shame does something that's quite scary, and this is number four. Shame locks us in and locks others out. Shame looks at the people that love you, and you say, only so far. Only so far. I'm only letting you come in so far. I'm not letting you see me at my weakest, at my most frail, at my most fragile. I'm not going to let you see me there. Only so far. That room, that door stays shut. Because the truth is, is only you can unlock that door. And there are so many of us that have fallen and failed. And we've kept the shame and the pain of that hidden behind that door, shut, locking others out. And they know, they know there's something, there's some part of you that you're hiding from me. I don't know what it is. You see, number five, actually, let's look at this. Proverbs twenty four sixteen, where it says that the righteous will fall. I think the question that we need to ask is, why does the other person not get up? You know what keeps them down? Shame. Shame is what keeps a person down. Shame is that I don't want to stand up and have mud all over my face. I'll look better if I just lay here. Shame is the I don't want to have to face the effects of what just happened. It'll just be easier and more comfortable if I lay here. Shame is what keeps us locked down. But look at what this verse says. This is Psalm twenty-five, verse three. It's quoted again in Romans ten, verse eleven. Anyone who believes in Him, anyone who believes in God, will never be put to shame. You see, when we make that decision, God, I'm going to I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to Follow everything. I'm going to be the person. I'm going to be your disciple. I'm going to be that person when we make that decision. Shame cannot keep us down. And it does that by number five. Vulnerability allows us to rise in the storm. Vulnerability allows us to rise in the storm. Vulnerability is the capacity to walk to that door and know that there is Pain and difficulty inside, but to say, I'm going to open the door because I want you to see it. I want you to see it. In all the scriptures, I, I'm not sure that we find a story that better exemplifies this than in the life of Peter. We find Peter first in Matthew chapter four In Matthew chapter four, Peter is fishing who he is. He's a fisherman. And from the shore, a man approaches and calls out to him. Come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. That man was Jesus. See, in those days, much like the educational system that we have today, kids were trained in school. And along the way, there would have been select students that were chosen by rabbis to follow them. This would happen very young as we were looking at elementary age kids. See, Peter would have been passed over for those invitations. But there on the shoreline, the great rabbi Jesus gave him that grand invitation to come. And follow him. And in verse 20 of chapter 4 in Matthew, the Bible records something significant. Peter dropped his nets to go follow Jesus. You see, he let go of the thing that had been his life. He was a fisherman. That's how he provided for his family. That's how he made his life. That was his identity. And he let go of it because Jesus said... Peter, if you'll come and follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. You will no longer hunt fish. Now I will take you and use you to build my kingdom. And for the next three years, Peter would follow Jesus around as he healed the sick, as he taught the masses, as he performed miracles. He would see everything that we see recorded in Scripture. He was one of the inner connected people to Jesus. And right before Jesus is going to be executed, he makes this what seems to be absurd prediction about who Peter was. He says, Peter, in the next few days, you're going to deny me three times. And the significance of three is that you could keep going on after that. Three is enough to prove that you're going to do it completely. Three times. You're going to deny me. And Peter, who is at this moment so holistically bought into the message of Jesus, he is, he's right there. He is willing to fight. He's willing to give his life. So much so, when the guard shows up to arrest Jesus, to take him and imprison him where he's eventually going to be executed, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts the guy's ear off. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I ain't ever cut somebody's ear off, right? He's invested in it. But the next day in this execution of Jesus, it's going to take a whole day to accomplish. Early in the morning, somebody says, hey, haven't I seen you with that guy? And Peter would say, no, that wasn't me. No, that wasn't me. Later in the day, somebody else would look in the crowd and say, hey, you're, you're, you're a Galilean. So it says, Jesus, God, do you know him? You must be with him. No, that's not me. I'm not with him. And on in the evening, a young girl would recognize him and say, I've seen you with him. I've seen you. And Peter would say, no, it's not me. I don't know the man. And a rooster at that moment would crow three times. Reminding Peter. Of Jesus's prediction of his betrayal, and he would run away, having just experienced one of the most epic falls in one of the greatest storms of human history. The story of Peter picks up again in John 21, where at the very beginning of John 21, the Bible says this. So Peter said to his friends. I'm going fishing. Now, if I said I'm going fishing, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. It would be a little unusual. I don't go fishing a whole lot. But it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But for Peter, that statement was a step backwards. That was, I'm going back to what I've always known. I know that he said, I'm going to be a fisher of men, but I betrayed him. I failed him. I can't do that. I'm going to go back and do what I know. I can fish. I can provide for my family by fishing. I can have an identity as a fisherman. That's what I can be. And in one of the most vulnerable moments in all the Bible, the next morning after he has been fishing, From the shoreline, a man calls out to him and his friends. Have you caught any fish? To which they replied, no, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything. I want you to understand something today. That when God takes you out of something and puts you into something else and you try to go back to it, you will never be as productive as you are where God has planted you. When he takes his hand off of something and puts it on something new in your life and you fail him and try to go back, the blessing of God is not going to be there because God has moved you forward. And so from the shoreline, he called out and said, why don't you try the other side of the boat? And they did. And on the other side of the boat, they caught so many fish in their nets, they couldn't pull them in. And Peter realized that the man on the shore was Jesus. So he dove in, (laughs) swam to him. And in this fragile, vulnerable moment, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Yes, Lord, I love you. And then he said this. We read this and pass over it so many times. He said, Then feed my sheep. You know what he was saying? Peter. I found you fishing this morning, and I told you that you are going to be a fisher of men. Don't go back to what you've always known. Don't let shame lock you in to a way of living that is way less than what I meant for you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. And then one last time, three, to connect to the three times that he denied him. Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I think it's remarkable today to know that we have a God who is going to pursue you. Until every square inch of your heart is open to him. Until you can stand face to face in front of your failures, in front of your weaknesses, in front of the greatest storms thing you'll ever face and you can have a reckoning with them. He is not going to back up until we do. So let's talk about what it would take to instead of running from our storms, to have a reckoning with them. The first thing that I want to tell you this morning is that if we're going to have a reckoning in the middle of the storm, we've got to, number one, own our story. We've got to own our story. And I'm going to tell you something that is absolutely counterintuitive to the way that we live in the world that is wanting to write a narrative for who we are. This is, all right, this is it. You are not a victim. You are not. You are not the culmination of somebody else's failure. What kind of God do we think we serve that we have to lay down in the mud because somebody else abused us or hurt us? I absolutely believe that God can take our mess and turn it into a message. That God can take turmoil in our lives and turn it into triumph. That in the midst of the storm, there is a great invitation to rise. And it's not anybody else's fault. We have to own the story that we're living. taking notes, I'd write this. We must face our failures if we're ever going to experience freedom. We must face our failures if we're ever going to experience freedom. So we must own our story. Number two, we need to get honest about the emotions. We need to get honest about the emotions. When you're lying there, face down in the mud, having blown it. What's going on inside your heart? You see, if you're a normal guy in here, you got two emotions. You're happy and you're sad, right? You had Two days, right? You had a good day or a bad day. Right? Women have to- like Baskin Robbins emotions, Right? Guys have like two or like the soft serve, like one or two, (laughs) chocolate or vanilla. You got, you have to get honest about how you feel about it. Are you afraid of it? Is this producing shame in your heart? You have to be honest about that. Number two. Number three. We must be curious about the motives. We need to be curious about the motives. We need to ask God, help me unearth the why behind the what. I've told you this before, but I just want to remind you of this, that oftentimes we elevate behavior to the problem if you're a parent in here this is so important we elevate behavior to the problem my kid is lying right my spouse is lying there the behavior is not the problem the behavior is a symptom what are the motives that lie behind the behaviors for the past few years i've been taking you back to this every once in a while because i think this is one of the most important passages to pray. It comes out of Psalm 139. It's a a powerful prayer that we all need to pray from time to time. Look at this with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, search me. Know me. And if there's anything inside of me that offends you, point it out. Point it out. God, help me to be honest about my failures. Help me to be honest about my emotions. God, help me point things out that I can't see. God, I'm struggling financially. I have no idea why we can't make ends meet. God points out tithe. You're not following my plan. God, I'm, I'm struggling in my relationships. God, I'm struggling. I'm not, I'm not finding the intimacy and the love that I want. And God points out, where well, you're very judgmental. You're not giving a lot of grace. It's very hard to be intimate without grace. So when God points something out, number four, we must remove all the barriers. We must remove all barriers the barriers. God, show me in my heart the thing that offends you. When God shows it to you, get it out of the way. And barriers for us can be something that we talk about as a trigger for a behavior, right? What is the thing that caused you to trip up and fall? You need to know that if you have those friends, don't hang out with those friends, right? If you're doing that thing, don't do that thing anymore. But let me just suggest this to you, barriers are not just that. What's keeping you from standing face-to-face with your failure and being absolutely thoroughly honest about it? Is it pride? Is it fear? Whatever it is, get it out of the way. And number five, we must lean in to the discomfort. We must lean in to the discomfort. I I want you to, to understand something today that God, he cares more about you than he cares about you being comfortable. And because of that, God will sacrifice your comfort to build your character. Because he cares more about you than just to keep you comfortable. We do that with our kids. right? My kids would love to go home today and have nothing for lunch except gummies. They would be excited about that. And they'd get a stomach ache and throw up afterwards, right? God knows that at points we need to be uncomfortable. I mean, isn't that the message of the gospel itself? That God looked down and saw you. Everybody think about this. He looked down and saw you in a mess you couldn't get yourself out of. He saw you sinning, failing, and lost. And so what did he do? He decided to do the most uncomfortable thing. He put on flesh and came to earth. And then he looked at you and said, you can't pay the penalty for your sin, but I can. So here's what. I will give you an offer to life, If, but I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to take all of your sin, every failure that you've ever made, and I'm going to carry it. I'm going to carry the weight of it, the significance of it, the pain of it. I'm going to carry all of it on the cross. That is not comfortable. And there you sit. Scared to death to open the door, be vulnerable, and have a reckoning with your failure. I want you to understand that the thing that gets somebody up off the dirt when they've fallen down is that they're willing to stand when they stand up to stand face to face with their failure. They're willing to have that reckoning and in that there's a power to rise. Let's pray. God, thank you today that you have, through your grace and mercy, given us a chance to in the middle of the most significant storms we face, rise. So today, God, we just ask you Help us to understand what you're doing in our hearts. Many of us today are facing difficult seasons. We're, we're facing times that, that are beyond complicated, beyond difficult, hurtful, and painful. Some of us are fighting for our lives and with medical conditions, God. Some of us are fighting for our families. Some of us are fighting for friendships. Some of us are fighting for our kids. And today, God, I pray that you would remind us that in the midst of that storm, when it has knocked us on our face, we can rise. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me ask you this question. Nobody getting up, nobody moving around. A few minutes ago, I talked to you about the discomfort of the great gift that God has given us in his son Jesus, where he's offered us a new chance to live life through his death. The only way we stand up In the midst of a storm, when we've fallen, it's through the power of God that is given to us through that great gift. And there are some of us in here today that need to receive it because we've walked away from it. We've never received it at all. So if that's you, and you're here, and you know, I need to make a decision to give God my entire life. Raise your hand right now. Raise your hand if that's you. Who else? Who else? Hands up everywhere. Who else? Now I have one more question for you. One more question. Today, if you're the person that's in here, you're in the middle of a storm, and you're laying face down in the mud, and you know God wants you to stand up again, but you're scared because it's going to take you being vulnerable, And taking a risk. But you want to say, God, I'm tired of laying here in the mud. I'm going to stand. Raise your hand if that's you. Awesome. So God, for those that are here that need to make that decision to follow you just ask that you be with them, guide them, lead them in the name of Jesus and for those that are here that need to stand up in the middle of our storms, stop wallowing around in our failure, have a reckoning and come face to face with who we have been so that we can learn what you want to teach us through it in the name of Jesus God be with us and lead us for your glory Amen Thanks for listening